Welcome everybody to the UDR podcast. I'm Tom Forsyth here with Bill Ward. We're going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives and different experiences in recovery with people we know and people around the world. Hey everyone, today we have Gord P. We get into uh, some emotional recovery and Gord's experience and a little bit of Bill and I's experience. Um, if anything resonates with you here today, or you know someone who uh, could you know, use this episode to some use or would benefit them in any way, just please follow and share this episode. Enjoy. Welcome everybody to the UDR podcast. So I'm so excited to have Gord here. Gord is one of those guys that when you're around him, everything just feels better. What's up? <laughs> What's up, Gordo? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we were having a killer conversation about a lot of things before this. Um, do you want to just let people know... You know, kind of a little bit about yourself, about your recovery, where it started, or how it went for you. I know you're in and out a little bit. Oh, yeah. In and out a lot, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 27 years in and out. I went to my first, uh, my first meeting when I was 17 years old. And trust me, I am not 17 years old. Um, yeah. How old are you, Gord? I'm 48. Wow. And uh, I've been clean and sober in active recovery, solution-based recovery for four and a half years. So yeah, probably about 27 years of being in and out. When you say uh, solution-based recovery, what's the other kind of recovery you were in? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, lots of different kinds of sobriety, I suppose. So sobriety that I just went to meetings, never opened a book, sobriety where I went to sober dances and picked girls up, sobriety where I continued to go to meetings and again, never did any of the work and needed to get a job and needed to get a girlfriend and and focused on all of those things other than my spiritual growth first. Um, sobriety a day or two at a time, go back to a meeting, say I'm coming back, go back out three days later, coming back, go back out. I did that for a couple of years, actually. And I've also been, you know, uh, in a, see, and I can't call it recovery, but I spent many years of my life avoiding the rooms. Um, because I was like Fred. I, I didn't need that fellowship stuff because it didn't really work for me anyway. Um, but I did feel like I'd learned enough about myself that I would use self-knowledge and willpower and I would set goals and I would achieve goals and, and I would gain self-esteem in achieving goals and I would set new goals and I would do that. And i I commenced on doing exactly that, and it worked for a while, for a long while. I went back to college. I, you know, was awarded 
you know, awards for, for my grades in college. I met my future wife in college. I had kids. I had career changes, bought homes, you know, advanced in my career to a, to an elite level. And, uh, it all came crashing down eventually again. And I was like Fred. And I had to come back. And guys like Bill came up to me and said, So, you done yet? <laughs> and eventually I was able to admit that I was. And I was willing to do whatever people like you told me to do. Because I had no other choice. My will had failed completely. So, by the sounds of it... <clears throat> You made a lot of other things at different points in your life your your higher power. Whether whether it was a woman at the the dance and maybe you got together, maybe you dated some of them, I don't know. You made jobs, money, um, goals, Prestige. whatever it was. Yeah. Right. Prestige is a big higher power and it's one that I struggled with for a long time. Like our stories are very similar. I, I also did very similar to what you did, although I wasn't in recovery yet. I'd actually quit drinking on a prayer at 22. By the time I was 23, I had my business plan, my idea. And by 24, it was in full force. Mm -hmm. And my higher power was money and status and prestige and, and all of these things. And it actually worked for a while too, like you. Yeah. But eventually, you know, it, it can only mask the, the uh, spiritual malady, the restless, irritable, and discontented. I can only do work and status to medicate the spiritual malady for so long. That's right. It's unsustainable. Yeah, dude. And and for me, it quit working. Alcohol quit working by the time I was 22. Prayer worked. I don't know how. God listened, and he opened the door, and I started a business. I should have probably went to real recovery, but, you know, I did my own recovery, so I started a business, and then it quit working too. And then I found crack at 30-some years old, and there's my new higher power. It launched me into the fourth dimension, and <laughs> and I and it had to come crumbling down again, right? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I guess the like, I mean, I I was like you too. I was just in and out, in and out. Um, but yeah, I mean, we throw ourselves into work, and you know, they call it workaholism, but really, I'm just like, I don't know what to do with the way I feel sober. Like, I have no idea what to do with myself. I can't sit with my kids. I can't sit with my wife. Like, I have to keep busy. And this is like, a lot of people start to accept this in recovery. Oh, that's just the way I am, or I'm ADD, or whatever label they put on it. But really, it's spiritual malady, like, all over the place. And I suffered from that, like, brutally. And I would have to throw myself at work, like, 70, 80-hour work weeks. You know, and it's all for the greater good. I convince myself that it's, I'm supporting the family. I'm a great provider, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is I just can't sit with myself. And, you know, this is what the program has done for me when I actually put in the work and I actually look at myself and start to work on the things about myself like defects of character. And we talked earlier about, you know, how defects of character kind of evolve or Bill said devolve. Um, what has that been like in your life up to this point? I mean, it's, <clears throat> pardon me. It's, uh, I mean, it's ever changing, mm -hmm. ever growing. We talked about that as well. Right. I mean, I'm still today learning, uh, about how my defects of character 
have morphed and changed. Um, they aren't so glaring anymore, but they are still very, very real. I mean, the prime example is uh, <clears throat> I came in here very egotistical, very arrogant, but beaten enough to become enough, you know, just willing enough to, to, like I said, do whatever you guys told me to do because I needed a new life and I needed something different because I'd failed completely. So when I realized and recognized by having gone through the steps, and don't forget that I tried to cover up the spiritual malady with, uh, because at that point I had no idea about defects of character. I covered that up with workaholism and pride and prestige and all of those things, which are defects of character. But uh, I had no idea about that because I'd never, ever looked at, at, the, at the steps, the program that we work. And, and eventually, the good feelings that I got from succeeding, from having kids, from, from being helpful, you know, doing charity work, like all of that helped me kind of keep my life on track for a lot of years, like I say. But eventually, all of a sudden, that malady takes over, that sickness is still there. It's still growing, right? And eventually, you know, I, I started overdoing it with the drinking. I started overdoing it with the prescription pills. I started, you know, seeking relief from narcotics and alcohol. And, and so, yeah. But now, take it to where we're talking about now with defects of character. I've gone through the 12 steps and, and I've recognized a lot of my defects of character. And I say a lot of because God will reveal more to me as I go along. I don't know all of my defects of character. I just don't. I know the, the great, big, glaring ones, especially in the beginning. And a lot of that was arrogance and ego. So now, take that a couple years later. Those first couple years, I really worked hard at not being that guy. I really worked hard at trying to be more humble. And I failed often, but but as time went by, I really started recognizing and other people really started recognizing in me that humility was was starting to be a part of Gord. But but now, you know, in the last year I've started recognizing how I went overboard with humility to a point where I couldn't allow people to give me praise. I wouldn't allow people to thank me for something kind I did for them. It's morphed. It, it, I'm starting to realize that I had taken that change too far. You see, I'm a strong believer that Defects of character are either an over-amplification of our instincts or they're an undergraduation of our instincts, mm -hmm. right? So I, I came into this thing. I started working hard because that ego and that arrogance was over, over-amplified. And what ended up happening, I'm learning, is that now it's undergraduated. I need to be able to accept praise and compliments. I need to allow people their truths to thank me for something kind I did. And that's not being arrogant or egotistical. It's just letting people be their own truth.
and 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 also loving myself enough to accept it. It's really cool how we learn as we go. Like we talked about, this is ever learning and ever growing. This is actually never going to stop. I hope. You know, that's that's my prayer is that I always continue to learn about myself. And I I like what you talked about where you came in and you were like you went at this guns blazing I want to change. And uh, maybe you did overdo it. And like, we're very similar in, in our growth and recovery. And, and I was the same way, right? And through the first year, I didn't even understand what this program of recovery was even about. I just thought it was about getting sober and not using drugs and alcohol. And then I remember one day I go to my sponsors and I'm like, bitching about what's happening in my life and what these people are doing to me and all this kind of shit my sponsor looks at me and he's like when are you gonna realize this isn't even about fucking drinking bro it's about your defects of character and if you don't get a a handle on what we're doing here you're gonna burn your life down in all your relationships and and if i go down that track if i keep burning my life down in my relationships I'm going to probably eventually put a pipe in my mouth again or a drink in my hand. So he really had that talk with me. And I remember leaving his house and I was all fucking pissed off at him. And I'm thinking, what an asshole you are again. Like this ain't the first time I left his house pissed off, right? (laughs) But, uh, but I always sat and thought about it. And I'm, I always was like, well, this guy has nothing to gain. All he is doing is caring more about my life than my feelings and there's something here I need to look at. And then I would look at it and I'd be like, fuck, he's right. He's right again. And then through a lot mm-hmm. of this pain, humbled, humiliating pain, I became willing, uh, hooked up with my bro, Jesse, and we started reading through step six, the defect of character step. And, and heavy, heavy conversation through line by line going, holy shit, that's me. Holy shit, that's where I do that. Holy shit. And that was the beginning of these real glaring ones, right? But over the time, I'm, I'm, you know, very similar to you. And, and I know Tommy's probably the same. Like, this shit changes. And these fucking defects become more cunning. And they become more baffling. And they become more powerful in some ways. And more subtly powerful. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, I can get caught now and, and just spin. And not even really know that I'm spinning until somebody says, dude, like, chill. Now, let, I'm like, now let me ask you something, though. <laughs> No, I hear you. I hear you, man. And and you're, yeah. Let me ask you this. And this is why I believe that working with others, and I'm not talking about being helpful to all of humanity, which has also become a huge part of my life, but I'm talking about specifically walking other alcoholics and addicts through this step process. Are you, are you on the beam or off the beam when you're doing that? Do you learn more about your own defects of character when you're taking a guy that's basically you through the book and listening to him? This is why, this is the only thing I ask my sponsees to do. It's the only thing. I make a very big point right at the beginning now, and I never used to do that. But actually, more growth and learning from doing a big book study with you and Jesse I learned that that is right at the beginning. It tells me right in the book to do that. Now I look at guys and I say, I am not here. And I read that that portion and uh, there's a solution about uh, just a sincere desire to be helpful. I say, 
that's that's why you came to me because that's all I've got for you. I only want to help you. I want nothing from you except one thing. And that's where I use it that reading at that point to say the only thing I expect of you. The only thing I will ever want from you is to take this message to others. And that's for them. It's not so much for everyone else. I want them to work with others because it has given me so much in my life. And I recognize my own defects and how they've subtly morphed through listening to guys I'm working with. And it's crazy. The, the stuff that I learned just from talking to another alcoholic or addict, uh, more is revealed. But it, it's not going to be revealed unless I'm constantly doing this work with somebody that's very similar to me in the way of a spiritual malady, like you were talking about, in the way of, of glaring defects of, of character. Because when I see your glaring defects of character, I start to recognize my subtle ones. And that's a gift. That's why I keep doing what I'm doing. So do you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you... And like, what do we learn through the process? Yeah, well, this program, when you look at the, uh, the steps, a lot of it's self-examination. It's about looking at self, self-realization, self-examination. Well, as I work with another alcoholic addict and I'm sitting across the table from him, I'm looking at myself, I'm talking to myself, I'm listening to myself, not only as an addict alcoholic, but as a human being. Yes. And so I'm learning more about me, but what I'm also learning is more about the disease of alcoholism. And I start, I start forming, um, you know, um, I start collecting data of what is actually working and what's not working in my sponsorship and what I see and how other people's defects actually work subtly under their surface and it'll steer them in the ways that you had mentioned earlier. Well, let's go seek out women. Let's go seek out sex. Let's seek out porn. Let's seek out all these things that actually is very disturbing to their recovery, but they don't really know that because they think they are here for an alcohol and drug problem. Yes. But it's way deeper than that. So I'm learning so much in that process. And I'm actually, my heart's wide open. I'm, I'm opening his heart. And we're connecting through the language of the heart. And like, it's just an amazing, an amazing experience. So for me, when I came in, I started sponsoring right away. I started sponsoring out of pure ego. Like I'm the egocentric alcoholic. And I, I sponsored because I needed to fucking do it because the book tells me to and my sponsor asked me to. And I need to stay alive. So I started doing it. And but and a large part was like, fuck, I get to sponsor fucking out of ego though when I look back. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think it really matters why I started because I started. Mm -hmm. And over the process of working with tons and tons of guys, the ego slowly got smashed. And I started doing it more because it made me feel good. There it is. And then I started doing it because it was the right thing to do, right? And that's where I was going to go with it afterwards. It feels good. I learn about me. But then all of a sudden something transforms and it does become about all the other people that they're going to help. It does become about being useful to human beings by just being humans being. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important, too, to have someone take you through the book so that you feel confident to sponsor. Um, because, like, the, the way I was doing it, I didn't feel confident in sponsoring anybody. Like, it was, it was a scary task to me. And when I did, we just read the words, right? 
And just reading the words in the book just isn't enough. Like you have to understand what they're saying. And it's hard to understand what they're saying without somebody pointing it out to you. And even like defects of character, like I thought, you know, the, the defect of character was, uh, you know, fear, anger, resentment, um, selfishness. So that's all I was on guard for. But when I went through with Bill, people pleasing, you know, dishonesty on a different level, you know, like the little white lies, just so like I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, create any conflict. Like all this stuff was affecting me majorly. Self-pity is one of mine. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. huge. Totally. It's huge. But you don't see it. Like, then this is why working with other alcoholics is like, like Bill said, they're showing you, you, it's a mirror, total mirror. But like, I can't figure this stuff out on my own. Like if I try and figure me out, it's a fucking rabbit hole. Now here's the trick. I'm going to share a story with you. This just happened a couple weeks ago to me. I called my sponsor. Well, no, actually it was a couple months ago. I called my sponsor because I was upset. <clears throat> I was upset that uh, I was on this job site. We'd finished the job. It was a big commercial building. And of course, the three-piece suit guy comes to do the completion certificate. And I had expectations. Uh-oh. I had expectations he was just going to sign the completion and everything was going to be great and everyone was happy. Well, this guy, you know, is 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 a prime example of self-will run riot. He basically told me, well, all this section of the roof is leaking. I'm not paying you a single cent until it's not leaking anymore. And I kept my cool. I explained to him why uh, we didn't touch any of that part of the roof. That was not what we were here to do. And he flat out said, I don't care. I'm not paying you until it doesn't leak anymore. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to end this conversation. I did it professionally. I did it calmly. I didn't really lash out at the guy. I left to think about how we were going to proceed. You know, I did, I did some things. I called adjusters, uh, set that, set them, you know, up. So they knew what was going on. I requested maybe we get paid directly. You know, I did all the right things to protect our company. And, uh, at the end of the day, I was angry. I was really angry because I don't like being treated that way. And, and I called my sponsor and I told him all about it. And Devin says to me, he's like, all he said was, you know, Gord, I'm so grateful that I have a job in the midst of all this world chaos and COVID and, and world economies that seem to be crashing right now and so many people out of work. I am so grateful that I have a job. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said to him, I'm, I'm wallowing in self-pity. I'm feeling sorry for myself, aren't I? And he's like, well, I didn't want to say that outright. But yeah, you are. And I said, well, why couldn't I recognize it? He's like, Gorm, self-pity is one of the hardest ones to recognize while you're in it. He said, and that's why we talk to other people. Well, that's that's why we talk to our sponsor and our, our pillars. Sorry. You can't see self with self. No. So if you're in self-pity, then you need an intervention. And that's why sponsorship is like vital to this program, right? It still is mm -hmm. critical for me. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I was given the honor of handing that man his 10-year chip on Saturday. And uh, he cracked off a joke about, I just want to thank Gord so much because he taught me how to sponsor idiots, basically. He didn't say it in those words, but 
I got the point, right? Like, and then, and then he said, and then I prayed that Gord would have a, a sponsee as difficult as he was with me. <laughs> and that has happened several times now. And he laughs at me. But yeah, I need I need people like you guys. You well, guys are my is, friends. You're, you're not my sponsors, but you're my friends. And, and I value your friendship because I respect your recovery. I respect your outtake on life now. And you were talking about, um, you, know, uh, you know, Fred and the way in the book he kind of says, okay, thanks for the information. I got it from here. Yeah. The problem is when you got it from here, you have nobody to intervene with your nonsense, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am left solely with me right. and my will, and we all know how far that gets me. And I remember working with Tommy, and and I would I'd tell him, I'm like, you got to call me for the small shit. And we had revealed in his five that dishonesty, people-pleasing, self-pity, it was part of what he was doing. But he didn't really see that stuff. I know he had done other step fives and they had given him some feedback. They, But he didn't get the like, I care more about your life than your feelings feedback. And I gave him some of that, right? And then as, as we built our relationship, he would call me and he's like, dude, I'm thinking of lying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd right be on. like, good call, don't lie. Right, and right? it's as simple as that, right? <laughs> Sometimes we just need to hear it. Totally. Well, the yeah. thing was like, I had brutal, <laughs> brutal, brutal anxiety to the point of like, couldn't even leave my apartment and I couldn't figure out why I kept calling Bill. I'd have a good week and then a bad week and then a good week and then a bad week. And I felt crazy. And, uh, so I would call him when I was just thinking about lying. So it didn't manifest into an actual lie. Cause I was so terrified. Like, like, again, it's not about drinking today. It's about anxiety, insomnia, depression, all these things that look like clinical depression, insomnia, all that stuff. Yeah. So that I don't end up in a doctor's office telling them that I'm depressed or have anxiety and they give me some narcotic to set off the craving and I end up drunk again, which has happened to me over and over again in mm -hmm. the program. Yeah. Instead, it was call my sponsor, tell him what's really going on, the rigorous honesty, so that he could intervene and say, dude, don't do that. And it's just like that is enough to stop me, right? Like, and go tell the truth to whoever it is. Well, what's your truth? Yeah. Well, with my business partner, I don't really like, you know, what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And and we're not really on the same page in this. Mm -hmm. And instead of just nodding your head and smiling and, and leaving and not saying anything, mm -hmm. go to him, pray first, and say, look, dude, here's what I feel. Here's what I believe. And tell him the truth. And I find I found over the years of doing step fives is your average guy drinks because they've never told their truth, right? And we talked about on the deck today about uh, setting boundaries, right? And Gord, you had mentioned, you know, it took me a long time to not have to set boundaries. Why? Because you're in touch with who you are. You uh, run this road with your creator, whoever, whatever that is, mm -hmm. and it's your truth, right? And you don't need to run around your life setting all these roadblocks and, and boundaries in your life. Why? Because you got the heart open and you got one thing that sets all your boundaries. It's called your own intuition and your own guidance system. And, and what a gift that is, right? And, and I know that Tommy's run that way. I run that way. I still have some insecurities in some areas where I'm working through. And, and these things are all coming to the surface five and a half years in. Why? Because that's time. That's the time, right? 
And, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm running my life in insecurities, but definitely shit's coming to the surface, right? With my new sponsor, in my relationship with my, my girlfriend, and these things just kind of come up and now it's time to work and get deeper, right? And, and the shit never ends. It's, it's ever evolving and it's fucking, it's amazing and painful, but I don't think it's scary anymore. That's the cool part. Let's talk about what it's like setting boundaries with force, which again, you talked about the evolution of defects of character. At first, it's almost necessary. Like when I'm coming into recovery, I got to set some boundaries on what I can accept so I don't drink. But then over time, it just starts to be who you are. And like explain what you explained to us earlier about your boundaries today. Well, it's, yeah, okay. That it was a great chat. Out. I almost wish that that was the podcast because we just <laughs> sat there and chatted. That was such a great conversation. Um, we talked about you know the the defects of character earlier in this podcast, and, and we talked about how I overextended, and now they're undergraduated. So, for example, I, I a friend asked to borrow a ladder because they wanted to clean their back eaves, and and I went over to their place, and they weren't home. And I could have easily just left the ladder, but I didn't. You know, as a good guy, I, I uh, always seeking to be helpful. So, I, you know, I, I did something for some friends. I cleaned out their eaves for them while I was there. And uh, they were very appreciative. And at some point, I think uh, my friend Jen was introducing me at a speaker meeting. And she went to, went to say what a great guy I was. And she was going to say what he just did for me at my house. And I stopped her and I said, no, 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 that doesn't need to be said. Right. So that's, that's kind of an example. Like I've, I've now I've gone too far. Like maybe that was her truth and she needed to share that. Maybe I needed to, to love myself enough to accept that compliment, you know? So when we start talking about boundaries, I mean, I set a boundary there. I, I set a boundary there. I don't want people thanking me publicly. I don't want recognition. You know, I received an award from the Alberta government this year, and a lot of people did. You know, like I'm not trying to say that I'm, I'm super special. But uh, I was chosen to, to be in receipt of an award uh, for uh, having been in recovery for a long period of time, and, and it got recognized at, on a government level. Uh, and honestly, I had a hard time, like I was setting a boundary that I did not want to, to be in receipt of that award. I didn't think it was, it was acceptable for me to go and say, Oh, look at me. I'm so great. Cause I'm just doing what most people do normally in their life. Be good, good people. And, and, uh, you know, and don't abuse drugs and alcohol. Woo. You know, like whoopee. But then I talked to my sponsor. So you, you guys are going to start recognizing a pattern. I talked to my sponsor again, and uh, he had told me, Gord, can you accepting that award help other alcoholics and addicts? Is there any way that that can benefit a treatment center uh, on a government level, maybe funding, uh, or you know, can, can maybe people in that treatment center when they see that post, recognize that guys have succeeded by going through that program. I said, yeah, I suppose so. He's like, then you have to accept it. I mean, I'm not telling you to do it, but that's the way I see it. You have to be effective. You have to stop worrying about 
the attention and and being so humble that you lose sight of being helpful in it, right? So I, I've learned over time, and, and this just basically came, I have people, you know, that I just X from my life because I would not listen to gossip. But some of those people are, are, it's just one of their defects of character that they maybe don't know they need to work on, but they're really decent people, and I love them in my life. But at one point, I was setting boundaries. I'm not going to have you in my life because you do this. That's too rigid. It, it falls back into my will. It, even though I'm forcing a recovery on it, and, and it can't be all bad, I, I've grown spiritually. And what that has turned into is I just live my truth today. And I don't X people from my life. And I don't really set boundaries. People learn my boundaries naturally. I seek to do God's will. I always try to be helpful. And when I'm wrong, I make good on it quickly. And if I'm constantly doing those things, the need to set boundaries has just fallen away. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're trying to be, just be authentic. This is That's who, exactly what it is, Tommy. Being yeah. authentic. Yeah. This yeah. is who I am today. Certain things don't fit in, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to say, you're this way and I won't accept it. It's just like, I won't partake in that stuff. Like, you know, someone's being gossip, you know, you just don't feed the beast, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think part of that boils down to its attraction rather than promotion. You walk your your truth, you walk your, your center of your road with with who you are and your authenticity and uh the things that are meant to stick will stick and through your own actions people will actually get the drift of okay this guy doesn't engage in that type of behavior um and then again back to your sponsor's words well how can you be most effective and helpful well as you walk this walk as we walk this walk we the best teacher is is us in our actions in the uh, forward to the first, it says to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. Well, to show other alcoholics, my sponsee and other members, how I stay recovered emotionally on an emotional level is the main purpose of what we do. So as we walk this, that, that high vibration, by not using force, like we could easily say to somebody, you know what? That's fucking rude of you. Why would you say that? I'm not engaging in gossip. But now we know. Let's engage in some some power and some love and and just act that way and be that way. So and instead of calling them on it, you're saying, you know, hey, you know, you just interrupt them and say, oh, hey, I got to get in there. The meeting's starting or, oh, you know what? Sorry, I, I just got to get on my way. Or as you're sharing, you share, you know. Like, I, I'm, I'm not into that gossip anymore. I'm sharing my story and I say, you know, this is what I used to be like. This is what happened. I suffered the fucking pain. <laughs> and this is what I'm like now. I try not to engage in that. Like, I remember a story. The story is true to me. And I thought about it today. There was this guy who was really being inappropriate to somebody in the program. And I was with the somebody and I could see the text and it was really disturbing. And I already didn't like this guy. So it was just a reason I actually wanted to fucking smash him. But 
I'd been in recovery only for about a year, year and a half at this point, and I'm just like trying to learn what we're doing. And I'm like, okay, I'm forcing the principles into my affairs, and I'm like, okay, it's not my business. Keep my nose out of it. Like, like I'm self-willing the principles into my affairs, but I it kind of worked. And then over time, I am I ran into this guy, and I remembered all of this shit that he was doing. But then I was like, okay. So I go in, I say, hey man, do you got a minute? Would you like, could you chat? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he comes out and we start having the chat. And I said, you know, I know that you're this much in with time and this is some of your behaviors. I don't really think it's appropriate, you know, and, and I just, you know, I'm just asking to maybe reconsider some of that behavior. And, and I really was angry though, but I took a totally different approach. And what happened in that moment was it actually, I shook his hand and I could tell that he was fucking sincere and he didn't really want to be that way. And I gained a level of compassion that was actually I'd never had before. And then every time I'd see him after that, I would genuinely go say hi to him. Whereas before I was just saying hi to him because it was out of spite and I'm supposed to. But it's kind of like that humility thing. And I learned through the humiliation, through the humble, through pain. And then finally, you know, this guy's just another human being that's emotionally all spiritually sick and frequently wrong but it helped heal me and it helped me see him in a different light right and so that was huge and that was only a year and a half in and i've had many experiences like that right the little things that just come to my mind when you're talking about that is uh you know understanding that someone like i'm capable of exactly what they're doing yeah um it has an effect on me. Like it, it actually worked with me a lot, for instance, in traffic. When someone would cut me off, instead of getting mad, I'd be like, yeah, I've cut people off before. And that's just a small example. But once you start applying that kind of mentality into your life, and you know, a lot of the time we just I, I continue to bring this stuff to prayer. You know, I want this person to change and see what I've seen kind of thing. And man, the effect that it has on your life, like, I spent so much time, for instance, being angry in traffic at what people were doing. And today I drive around and it's like flow. It's like, nobody's pissing me off. You know, people are making some mistakes. They don't really see me here and there. Nothing to get angry about. That shit used to drive my life. These little, little moments of anger would affect my entire fucking day. And sometimes even in my sleep, you know, I'm just spinning this scenario. What a dickhead. Yeah. Well, sure. And I can relate to that, Tommy. I, uh, I mean, I was always the guy that was running late. Mm -hmm. And so I was always speeding around. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing through this recovery process how I've learned if I leave on time <laughs> or with time to spare and I'm going to be early, I don't have to speed. I don't get angry while I'm driving anymore. I don't become an asshole. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's all little fine lines. I loved just now what you said about seeing yourself in others. I just uh, just read a book this year, and I want to quote the author, but I'm, I apologize to her. I can't remember her name, but the book's title is Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Debbie Ford. Debbie Ford, thank you, yes. And it's an excellent book, and that's exactly what the book's about. It's about our shadow selves mm -hmm. and how uh, whenever something bothers us about somebody else, if we can look within, then we can own the fact that we can be exactly what you just said, just like that in some level. Mm -hmm. Like, 
maybe there's a guy that's a murderer that I hate, mm-hmm. but I, I got to take that on and say, do you, do you think that I could ever become that guy? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if somebody, you know, raped my wife and maybe I would get that angry. Maybe I could get that angry. I've definitely been angry. I've definitely been violent in my life. Although I never considered myself a murderer. Right. You know, mm-hmm. but if I can take that, own it inside myself, I become free of it. Mm-hmm. It's a that's a great book. I highly recommend that book to anybody listening. I think the example she used is um, <clears throat> she was locked in a closet for six years and beaten most of her life. Is she capable of that? Right. Right. And we don't really go to that extreme ever. And usually, usually we're just full of judgment and, you know, how can this guy, this guy's such a dick all the time, blah, blah, blah. But when you start to look at, like, I have no idea, not even a clue, because I'm not God. I used to be. I used to always know what people were thinking and how they were feeling and how they should (laughs) act. But today it's more like, I have no idea what these people have gone through. And understand, I love working with other people because you start to understand, especially through five, six, and seven, what people have gone through, you know, you start to have this different outlook on how they are. And you understand when they call you with this crazy shit going on in your head. And you're like, yeah, I think that I've thought that stuff before. Too. With understanding comes forgiveness, Absolutely. right? Yeah, It's not yeah. just like stop being an idiot. It's like, I get it. Yeah. And that compassion and that compassion is so powerful when it, you know, that synergy that happens when you have compassion present it just changes the vibration. And this is why when you work with somebody, you guys both leave the room lit up because you're bringing love and compassion into the room rather than judgment and fear and worry. Sure. And this energy happens and then all of a sudden everybody's just like feeling on top of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a powerful experience. Now here's the gift of all that. If I continue to do this, it's very difficult in the beginning. And it takes time to learn lessons takes time for me to become aware step 11 right constantly staying in contact and becoming more aware Um, I learn about more defects of character and I continue to work on those now here's the gift if I continue to work on those things my thought process a complete psychic change occurs right and uh, I certainly by no means had a complete psychic change right after I I did all the steps that just didn't happen. I'd be a liar if I told you that was the right. case. But over time, I've had a complete psychic change in a spiritual awakening. And that means that my thinking process is different. So the guy that cuts me off in traffic now, your example, I'm more apt to think, shit, I hope his wife isn't in the hospital and he's rushing because she just got delivered in an ambulance from a car accident. I have no idea why that guy's racing around. Maybe he's just an asshole like I used to be. Maybe something really devastating is going on in his life. Not up to me to know, but it's up to me to have tolerance and love for all humans, right? In every situation. Do I do it all the time? No. Or that guy needs to learn to leave on time. Yeah, that's right. Because I know what's best for him. That has definitely helped me. And in the book, it talks about we make these decisions based on self that later place us in a position to, to be, be hurt, hurt, right? Yeah. Um, we step on the toes of our fellows. And they, they hurt us seemingly without provocation. Mm-hmm. And I like the small example of not getting up on time. 
you know, I maybe I stayed up too late, watched a movie too late. My bedtime's 10 o'clock, but I decided to watch a movie till midnight. And then I get up and my alarm goes off and I hit snooze twice. Like now, two decisions based on self, Yeah. right? But in my old life, I would have never have known that. Staying up late yeah. and hitting snooze. Right. Yeah. yeah. Getting into my car. It's cold out. Usually it needs five minutes to warm up. I let it warm up for a minute. And now I'm driving to work and I get to the four-way stop sign. I don't actually stop. I roll through it. I get a ticket for not stopping. And, you know, I'm pissed off. These things are piling up on me. I drive. I get a ticket in the playground zone where I never speed through. But today I'm late because I just got a, I'm late already. And I just got a ticket for the four-way stop. And now I speed through the playground zone. And then I see the camera go off in my rear view mirror. And then I get to work and my boss is wondering, like, why are you five minutes late? And I'm like, fuck, can't you? Like, look what I do around here. And like everything's just piling up on me, right? And I'm blaming everything. I'm blaming the cops. I'm blaming the stop sign. I'm blaming, you know, everybody. My boss and fucking for an alcoholic addict. And when you allow that too much of the shit to pile up, it's 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 time bomb stuff, right? And it can be fatal. Yeah. So what I want to highlight here is, so I did a step five yesterday on shame. Okay. So I did like a six hour step five. And the only thing that was on was shame. It was probably the the most in-depth step four and five I've ever done. So everything I've ever done in my life where I feel actually shame about, it was on this five pages. It was five pages of the worst shit I ever did. And the first two step four and fives I did were not as deep as this one. So as I go through this and I see the real reasons of why a lot of my behaviors manifest the way they do, and I got the feedback at the end, it just blew my mind. And what that does is I go out into life and I get to see other people struggle from the same deep-rooted shit that I do, right? And and so it allows me to develop compassion for the guy driving um, like a maniac, cut me off on the road. It, it allows me to have compassion for the guy in the meeting who's hitting on all the newcomers. And this is my opportunity to try to be effective. Now I go and I try to say, hey, bud, you know, do you want help with the book or, you know, without calling them right out, right? So it, it just, all of this shit just changes you. And over time, like I'm five and a half years in, I did my third step four and five, and it just blew my fucking mind. And, and it's changed me again. And it hasn't even all sunk in, right? But it develops compassion for me. Because I think I'm the first one I fucking struggle with. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? And then if I quit struggling with me, I won't lash out at you. And then I cease fighting anything or anyone, hopefully, which is a process. I don't know what's ever going to fully happen, but it's it's part of the deal, right? I think it's we have moments of, of we cease fighting everybody and everything. Moments, yes. So there's moments of that. And then, you know, some days we're good at it. Some days we're not. That's right. right? But we are able to match calamity with serenity. Absolutely. We just sometimes choose to take our will back. Mm -hmm. and, then, right? and the process is a little bit different every time. Yeah. And sometimes we hang on to stuff. A little too long you know yeah. before we actually like i mean we were talking out there and you're like holy shit this is so easy why do i make it so hard right <laughs> and, and we just so everyone knows and has the reference on that i mean my day started out i went into the office early to get a handle on things so i could be here to do this you know and uh, and you know a few things came up a few emails came in that annoyed me and uh dealing with people is not always easy but then I center myself and I say a prayer. I grab a coffee. Then I'm on my way down here. I think I'm back on the beam. 
and a couple more emails annoy me. I am a little stressed out, but uh, I, I'm able to deal with things, you know, on a business level. And and then I get here and I, I get a phone call from one of my concrete trades and he's telling me he's I ask him specifically to do it one way and he says I don't do it like that and and I get annoyed again and and uh, this is all like on the beam off the beam on the beam off the beam all morning today and uh, I I actually was not able to match calamity with serenity today until I actually spent some focused meditation and prayer time mm -hmm. and i forget that in my busyness and in my life i forget that i need to dedicate time to god and when i do that those those are the times i'm able to match calamity with serenity those are the times that i feel inner peace and those are the times when i dedicate that time that that peace lasts longer I behave better. And then in that prayer, which I was blessed to do with the two of you, um, we each, each took our moments and, and prayed and, and sh you know, and, uh, and uh, that was really cool. And it was, it was like a decent amount of time that we spent in prayer and, and, uh, and, and just coming to my head, it was like, why do I make this so hard? Why don't I spend three minutes talking to God. It will make the rest of my day probably much, much better. But I'm human. I get caught up in the busyness. I get caught up in the stress. I get caught up in the self. Self-pity. Poor me. This guy's telling me he's not going to do it. See? Subtle. It's not a, I can't believe they're treating me this way. I'm not that guy, but I subtly suffer from self-pity in many ways. You know, why doesn't this guy respect me? Why won't this guy pay me? Why doesn't my wife understand me? You know, it's all self-pity. Tell you what, two years ago, two and a half years into recovery, I would have never wanted to admit that I suffer from self-pity. Because it's such a negative negative word <laughs> it's almost when i first thought of self-pity i thought it was very weak you think about self yes it's like a weakness yeah feeling sorry for yourself kind of guy right. like, like I, yeah i don't get depressed i'm not that guy I get suicidal though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i like how your sponsor let you know that self-pity is the most subtlest one and it's hardest to see and as i work with guys in the program self-pity victimization the victim being the victim those two are the worst and they're the hardest to see and they're the hardest to be rid of and like as we say yeah well maybe that's not us well it is us right it is but five years ago you'd have called me a victim i'd have punched right. you in the face right. Right. <laughs> straight up i'll show you victim <laughs> and in the book it says powerfully blindly many times subtly these things will drive us dominate and insist upon ruling our lives self-pity does creep in there and it does subtly get in there and it does dominate me and it will victimize me and it will tyrannize my life and and unless I have somebody to call me on it, sometimes I can't see it, right? Or I fucking like going there because it gives me a feeling of superiority. Mm -hmm. Like, fuck you, 
or mm-hmm. or whatever. It does weird shit, right? But it makes me feel superior in a fucking really gross way. <laughs> right. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's superiority. It's 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 different than gossip, right? And gossip, you know, is is basically me feeling superior to others by slamming them, right? And that's that's an obvious thing, and that gives me an obvious good feeling when I'm talking shit about somebody. Yeah, that mother, blah, blah, blah. And I feel good at the time doing that because I think it's awesome that I'm bagging on this guy. Oh, so when your self-esteem is low, yeah. you need to bring other people to your level to feel a little bit better than yourself. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. However, with, with this form of self-pity, you're right. It's very different. It feels icky. It feels dirty, and uh, I don't like it, but it happens anyway. It's almost like a drug in itself, right? Hmm. Because you still go through the spree like it talks about in the book, <laughs> and then the guilt and the remorse comes later. Maybe you're laying in bed, and you're like, fuck, what a dick I was, but fuck, it felt good at the time. It's kind of like taking a hoot of crack, like, oh, that felt good, but now I feel terrible about yeah. my life, right? Yeah. And it, we're on guard for fucking defects of character. It's not about the substance. The substance doesn't come to my house and, you know, make me take it. But the defects of character will drive me to the substance every time. And now we're talking about emotional sobriety, right? This is emotional sobriety. Today I have emotional sobriety. I I actually love who I am. I, I swear to God, I've sat at Glenmore literally at a year sober and I say, you know, I don't know. I'd said this out loud. You know, and you got people with 30 plus years of sobriety and recovery in those rooms. And and uh, I've literally said, I don't know about you guys are all talking about loving yourselves. I can't see it. And they'd all laugh. I'm thinking, what the hell are they laughing about? Right? Maybe one day I'll, I'll be able to look myself in the mirror. But I can't see loving myself. That seems a little flaky to me and they would laugh yeah they would laugh now i get it you know they laughed because they understood they went through the same process i love myself today and it provides me with an ability to be more in touch with my emotions that to me is emotional sobriety and when i really falter in that pain of defects of character acting out in my defects of character that we, we were talking about and you were you were talking about well, those are emotional hangovers. And because I'm in touch with that so much, I recognize it a little faster today. So I still get emotional hangovers. You know, you wake up and you're like, remember getting loaded and, and waking up the next morning and going, oh, God, did I actually say that to her? Oh, my God, what am I going to do about this? And that shame and that guilt and that, the pressure. I still get those times. When I act a little bit out of an ego in a room, you know, mm-hmm. or in, at a, a function, a family function or something, and I walk away and I go, oh, damn. But I'm just more in tune with it today. I'm able to make amends a little more quickly and or just change the behavior, mm-hmm. right? That's a beautiful thing about me being in touch with my creator is he's constantly making me aware of what he needs me to be aware of. I have no idea, nor do I want to know what that is at all times. I just want to be the loving servant sitting here, show me what you need. I try to be in the moment. Gord, you had mentioned uh, these little examples of fucking maybe acting out. Oh, did I really say that? Or, 
you know, whatever it is. And like I just mentioned, I did a step set of steps on shame. And when you look up the word shame, it says honoring one's, dishonoring one's own consciousness. Or truth. Or truth. Yes. So basically when you act that way, it's, it's about, yeah, I feel bad because I did that to the person. But first and foremost, you feel terrible that you acted that way because that's not who you are. So the shame gets underlayered in there because you're dishonoring what and who you really are as a human, as the God-given part of you that doesn't want you to be like that, but then you act like that. So now there's two levels. You're dishonoring you and you're dishonoring another human being because we really have no right to, to treat people like that. So then the shame comes, unless we work out the shame, it, it, it festers and it actually stays down there, right? So, and I really want to point out in step 10, as we go through the process, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. So through the process, I quit fighting me because the first fight is, oh, fuck, I'm listening to you and I'm judging you. And if I keep listening to you long enough and I keep opinionating myself on what I think you are, and I will take it from my own head because I can't take it anymore. I got to tell you outside of me and then I'll fight you. And, and that's kind of where I think today I'm trying to stop the fight in my own head constantly. Yes. And I try to have that love and tolerance of others as our code while in the book. And there's a solution. It talks about what tolerance is. Other people's shortcomings, viewpoints, and respect for their opinions is the attitude that makes me more useful to others. So I got to have that kind of running through my brain as these moments come. And sometimes doesn't always come because pride is my big one and I get offended through my pride and then I'll I'll react instead of respond, right? But but I think the biggest thing is trying to honor our own consciousness. And if we can honor our own consciousness, then we're okay because we're setting that boundary through truth. And then we don't need to be like that to people outside of ourselves. But it's a long it's a long path, right? Well here's the trick, yeah. Our own consciousness also changes, right? Along the way. And we get more humble. And, and when I say humble, I mean seeking to do God's will. Humility. And so I'm not sure I'll ever be completely there. I just try to be there as often as I can. So my, my consciousness has changed over the last four and a half years tremendously. Well, there's a, there's a rewiring process with anything. It's like going to the gym. Like it's hard at, for the first two weeks. And if you stop, you don't create the new pathways, right? Mm -hmm. Mentally. <laughs> and, but once you get through the threshold, it starts to become easier and easier. And this is what we're doing. And, you know, through the process, we're clearing the channel from the head to the heart. So all the blockage, the connection to a higher power, God, right? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so it is amazing how, a lot of this stuff will start to become a working part of my mind if I, but I have to practice. And this is where, I mean, we watch it all the time with guys. They just, they start doing this stuff rigorously and then they let off and they mm. don't give them a, themselves enough time to create this new way of thinking and being and acting. And, you know, it's practice, 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 but guys just lay off the gas and they think they got this and they go back to the old patterns and it happens very steadily and sometimes very quickly right yeah yeah it takes time to get to a complete psychic change 
I think that a lot of people, when we go through that book with them for the first time, they hear the complete psychic change and, and it may seem either A, impossible, mm -hmm. or B, something that should happen overnight. Mm -hmm. When in fact, this is something that happens over time, right? And I believe it to be those three phases that we all love to, dis to discuss about the, the phases of willingness and humility, right? It happens over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's um, it's one of those things that you know. I, I think it's so difficult to um, continue this stuff because I mean, you get you get moments where everything just feels like everything's changed so drastically. It'll happen if if people get into the book right away. Everything changes so drastically, and then. It feels like you don't really need to put in the work. And I went through enough pain to understand like you did of going in and out where it's like, okay, I fucking, I cannot continue doing shit this way. So I just do it every single day. Um, and mostly because I, like we were discussing that authenticity that happens, you get brief moments of that and you're like, oh, this is what it feels like to speak my truth, to be who I am. And it feels so right. Um, anything outside of that, it's just not an option today. You know, I, I need to be that person for, for myself and for everybody around me in my life. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a necessity now, right? And then that final phase comes into play where we actually take this message to others mm -hmm. out of like just robotically almost at first. But then we grow and we learn and then all of a sudden we start seeing some of these guys, these sponsees that we have worked with and we see God working in their lives and we see their lives like Bill has seen mine improve dramatically. And, and uh, I've seen that with some guys that I have worked with and then it, that whole thing comes home. It's like, wow, I got to be a part of God finding this man and changing his life. That is why I'm doing this. And that's the final evolve, right? Mm -hmm. I love it. I love watching people recover. Mm -hmm. It's There's no greater gift than that other than my, my wife and kids and my family. There's no better gift for me than to see a man walk free. Well, and you wouldn't have what you have with your wife and kids if you didn't do what you're doing with other men. That's right. Right? Yeah. Learn the lessons from the other guys and take that lesson home and be there for your kids and, and your wife. And, that. and I assure you, my wife understands that too. I mean, I work with three guys a week, mm -hmm. but I also spend several days, you know, weekends mostly, Friday, Saturday, Sunday mm -hmm. with her. Right? right? It's... It, but she understands I've got to continue working with guys, you know? So I set out, we had to figure out a plan, right? right? People need help. Guys need help. I can't do it every night because I take away from why I did it in the first place. There's another way I've, I've cushioned, you know, taking something to an exaggeration. I mean, there was a time where I would even skip date night. I'd be going to meetings every night and working with other guys and all the nights would be filled. Well, guess what happens? Eventually, my wife's like, 
don't you care about me? Where's my time with you? Right? It's all been an evolution. Ever living, ever learning, ever growing, right? Mm. It's uh, So now I, I, Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays are for my sponsees. Friday, Saturday, Sundays for my wife. And Mondays for my home group. Amazing. And uh, work is mixed in all over there. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Friday, Saturday, yeah, Sunday. You do what you got to do. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap up here. Bill, do you have anything else you wanted to say here? before we Yeah, just I like how this is ending off. And it's through the service. It's through the life of service. Because I know a lot of guys come to the program and all they try to grab and seek is happiness, right? Yeah. And if you come here and you're trying to grab and seek happiness, it's like grabbing a handful of sand and the harder you squeeze it, the less there is there when you open it. There's nothing there. And when you look at the prayers and you look at the literature and actually what it's trying to do, it's trying to make us more of service so we can be helpful to our fellow man and to creator. And through that process of actually being of service, what, what do we find? We find the byproduct of happiness. Find the byproduct of what we talked about earlier, peace of mind. We find the byproduct of freedom of the human spirit. We find the byproduct of a faith that can meet any emergency. And it's through the life of service, which is like what we're all trying to do. Amen. And, and and I think it's through the balance of asking God for balance, because as you alluded to, and I have experienced, me trying to fucking balance this myself just causes more pain. Yeah. Right? So I got to relinquish that, which we learn through the evolution, right? So, yeah, Gord, I just, I'm really appreciative you came back and, uh, you know, did this again today and it just flowed really well. I'm just so super stoked that your recovery and, and what you're doing and, uh, you know, and I'm really happy to know both you guys as part of my pillar system in my recovery. And, uh, you know, I just, I just think it's a great thing what we're doing here. So that's all I have. Right on. Yeah. Thanks Gord, for showing up, man. It's, uh, means a lot. Gentlemen, I, uh, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> But I also need to extend a thank you to you both. I mean, this is an honor for me. It's not only an honor, it's a debt that I owe. Because today I live in grace, which is undeserved. Because the way I lived my life and the, the way my life is today, if you look at it on paper, I don't deserve to be this happy. I don't deserve to have what I have. But I've been given grace, and I've been given a relationship with a higher power that has given this all to me. And all I have to do is be of service in the moments when he wants me there. And when you called and asked me to come back, well, in that moment, that's what God wanted of me. So thank you for the opportunity to, to just slightly repay that debt. That's why I'm here. I appreciate you guys. I love you both. Yeah, I admire both of you and your recovery, and uh, I love just hanging out and chatting with you boys. It's it's good times. Right on. All right. So I just want to mention. So um, yeah, if you if you know somebody um, that could benefit from what we just talked about, um, please share this. Um, follow us. Um, and what came to mind as we wrapped up there was we alcoholics addicts are undisciplined. We need to let God discipline the simple way we just outlined in this book. And that's that's it. But it has to be continued because we learn so much just from life experience, from 
lessons and the hardships and you know all the pain from what we do to ourselves basically and you know so the evolution is exactly that um so yeah you can um you can check me out on instagram table40.coach or uh visit my website table40coach.com and bill where are you at um all platforms billward.life yeah just uh just packing into the stream of life mm -hmm. thanks right on